Hello and welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Perra. Today on the show, I have Samantha Addis. Samantha is the founder and CEO of Parkplace Payments, which is a company that markets and distributes payment solutions to small businesses around America. And with that, here's my interview with Samantha. Hello, Samantha. Hi. Thank you for taking the time today. Thanks for having me, Jason. So, Samantha Edis, CEO and founder of Parkplace Payments. Tell us about Parkplace Payments. So, I recognize that the, the payment processing industry is a very old one and was ripe for change. And so, I launched a payment processing company that offers a rate card, which hard to believe, but in this industry is rare. <laughs> we have one rate card. We don't negotiate. We offer fair rates the first time and we have exceptional customer service. One of the things that makes us super unique is our sales force, which is made up of people who typically have not been in the payments industry before. So I've called them from other industries. Maybe personal circumstances led them to taking time mm-hmm. off, whether it was because they were home with their kids or they were taking care of a sick relative or whatever it may be. And now I've recruited them to join Park Place and sell payment processing to their local community. So we are growing a sales force pretty fast of account executives. We have about 100 right now and we'll have 1,000 by the end of next year. Wow, you're not kidding. That's fast. That is quick. So good on you there. So we'll get to that in a minute. I want to come back to that rapid growth in a second. But tell me about, see, that's the elevator pitch. Tell me about the history of what you did before this and what led you to recognize the opportunity, not only in the payments, but also with the workforce that you're you appealing to. Sure. So I was uh, in the entertainment industry in my early years in my career, also in magazine publishing for a bit, just a variety of media positions. Then went to Harvard Business School, got my MBA, and I launched a personal branding firm, which was basically managing the brands of CEOs and different experts and different fields. Along the way, did a book series with Random House called The Experts Guides, which took off. And each of them, each of the books had a hundred experts sharing their area of expertise, whether it was Barbara Corcoran on how to sell a home to uh-huh. Richard Branson on how to get a loan. The and before Tim Ferriss did that with Tools of the Titans. Well done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then one of the experts in one of my books was a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk, who right. is an internet celebrity. And so he <laughs> and I met and he decided at the time he wanted to be the Simon Fuller of the internet. And so he made me his second web video show. So I hosted a show that he produced called Obsessed TV for two years, where I interviewed different experts and did that full time for two years. And then continued, you know, my speaking career, my last and author career. My last book was called The Pie Life, A Guilt-Free Recipe for Success and Satisfaction. And it basically turned me into a work-life balance expert, so to speak. Again, we referenced Jim Ferriss, who's more, he sometimes plays in that area as well. But basically I ended up speaking to thousands, tens of thousands of people across the country. The one group of people I was never able to help successfully, except to offer them motivation and inspiration were the women who left the workforce and wanted to get back in. And it really frustrated me. And I saw it almost as an economic problem that we had all of these women that had been really well-educated and were somehow due to life circumstances on the sidelines and not contributing to the economy. And as a result, it made them financially dependent. And it also a lot of times put their families in financial jeopardy as well as impacted their self-esteem because we all feel better when we're accomplishing something, not just at home. So I thought how can I help these people? And recognizing that 
the corporate world is not too friendly to people who've taken time off, understandably. And then at the same time, there's not a lot of opportunities. So a lot of these people ended up selling makeup and skincare and clothing to their friends. And I thought, why aren't these highly educated, intelligent people, why aren't they selling a financial services product that could earn them recurring revenue and really make them financially independent? So I tested the model for the first year and I basically trained 50 women and but in six different states to see if they could indeed go from being teachers or marketing people or everything under the sun. We have every career under the Olympic athlete. We have people in all different fields who then are being trained to sell payment processing for Park Place and they become account executives with us. And our program doesn't just train them on financial services and payment processing, but it also mixes in my background in work-life balance and just giving people the time management skills, the life management skills to make them as successful as possible. You know, it's amazing. You tapped upon a highly skilled, underappreciated pool of labor there that just, it's so bizarre in so many ways. I mean, like, I totally get the entire, hey, there's a big gap in your in your uh, resume. And is this person going to be up to, up to speed on the latest version of whatever it is we're using? I totally get those barriers and those hurdles. And it's just, it's a safer bet to take someone who's been doing that for a long time. But then, geez, I mean, just just raising a kid to the age of two, for example, like, you know, until they get, well, until they, until they get the kindergarten, for example, like that, that sort of thing can keep people out for a long time and for a good cause or caregiving for their parents. Yet, meanwhile, the, the penalty they pay for that career-wise is enormous. And it lasts a lifetime. That absolutely. Penalty. I mean, I've yeah. seen these studies on, when you look at the gender gap issues, they talk about like what underlying causes and it's not, you know, men versus women going to pay this one less. It's like, oh, this person has the same number, is the same age and the same background, but oh, there was a three-year period where they were off because they had two kids, right? Absolutely. And that hurts them a it. lot. Yep. So, I mean, first off, good on you for for basically creating this opportunity for people to basically get back into the workforce. Smart on you for taking advantage of a underappreciated, highly skilled workforce, which, you know, I wish other people wake up to this opportunity. And I've had conversations like this in the past with people who want to, oh, everything from, you know, child photography to other startup businesses that essentially give people the purpose and the job and everything else you're talking about, plus the work-life balance. So you found a supply side economics issue and created... You created a model for creating demand for their needs. So well done. <laughs> I like that, the way you put it. Yeah. yeah. So the pricing card, that's interesting. I love that. So let's talk about that. So like so many industries, I take it, opacity is the norm. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, especially in this industry, if you go into a business, most likely if you ask them who does their payment processing, they'll mention their bank or they'll mention a guy named Rick that they haven't seen in a couple of years. <laughs> and typically they just, they don't really have a close relationship with that person. And as a small business owner myself, this is my third business. I can say that the worst thing in the world when you run a business is to have something that falls apart or goes wrong and there's no one there to fix it. So whether it's legal issues or insurance or all of the parts of the business that are kind of the least sexy, exhausting, stressful parts of any business, whether you own a burger joint or whether you own a hair salon, you're still dealing with the same 20 basic business issues. And one of those issues is payments. And so I thought, what if a business, instead of losing, losing, you know, a doctor losing their office manager for an entire day because their terminal stops working and they're on the phone with the 1-800 number, what if a business could actually access exceptional customer service that 
cared about the problem as much as they did. And so our aim at this company is to keep our clients for 10 to 20 years, whereas the industry average turns over their payment processor every three years. So that means one third of Main Street businesses are turning over their credit card processing company every year because it's a third every year, one in three every three years. So it's really an insane attrition rate. So one of our goals here has been to have the lowest attrition in the industry. And we've only been boarding clients for a year and a half, but we boast that we have the lowest attrition in the industry. So basically you're winning on service and hustle, which I like. So, yes. you know, two points to be made there. I say, first off, the entire rate card thing always frustrates me. And it was, I actually just heard, uh, what was his name? Marcus Sheridan speak recently. I'm not sure if you know the name. No. Uh, he wrote a book called They Ask You Answer. And he, his story is quite simple. He had a business that he has a business that sells pools in whatever part of the U.S. And 2008 happened. He was panicked about not being able to stay alive, read up on internet marketing, thought, okay, what if I just instead did something simpler? What if I just made it this easy to make a decision on this? So one of the things he, he writes a lot of articles basically explaining like questions people ask about pools. And the, the one that was the most, one, the one that resonated the most was he talked about pricing. And he said, like, everybody says it depends and it does. And here's the factors and here's the range. And this is what determines whatever. And he explained pricing. That has driven so much business to his practice. It is insane. And so just by the fact that he's the one explaining the, the pricing. Exactly. And he's wow. gone beyond that. Like he often gets asked for things like, you know, can you refer me to other people in your area so I can compare quotes? And, you know, everybody kind of questions that. He actually wrote an article, a going review of his competition. And he lands more of that business than he loses because, hey, this guy's confident enough to do that, right? So, but I look at the entire pricing thing and how many industries, and mine, mine is particularly to blame in, in financial services, to hide that rate card for fear of chasing off the client. But meanwhile, the client is frustratingly looking for any sign <laughs> what this is going to cost. And exactly. you're hoping that you can just kind of get under the sticker shock with them or whatever it is. It's just, it, and it always also leads to the problem of you, we all know that comes to pricing, especially on volume, no one pays the same price as anyone else, right? So it's just, I think that what you're doing is the right thing and the thing that makes the most sense and, practice, and probably is going to drive more business to you from other businesses. Well, and one of the worst things I keep thinking that could happen is, you know, you and I own stores on the same block. We have the same payment processing company, but you go to sleep at night thinking that maybe your friend got a worse rate than you did or got a better rate than you did because you're not as solid a negotiator. Like why put that pressure on a business owner instead of thinking, you know what, we've given you the lowest rate the first time. And the way this industry works, which is so crazy is we run into this all the time where someone will say, well, you can check out my rates, but my guy told me that whatever someone comes in with, he'll beat it. And yeah. you want to say, well, why isn't he beating it now? Exactly. Why isn't he giving you the oh, lowest gosh. rate today? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. I, I know someone that was a roofer once who basically his insurance rates had gotten so high, he was contemplating working without insurance. And then he got another carrier to basically give him a crazy good deal. And he went back to his 20-year buddy who'd been covering his insurance forever and said, you know, I have to go. I'm sorry, but this guy's like 40% cheaper. I got to do it. Oh, I'll match that rate. Well, yeah, the reaction that he had was visceral and rightly so. So now so let's talk it with a new guy, I hope. Oh my God, did he ever, yeah. and did he ever, <laughs> you know, that guy probably, probably was knocked over by the, by the reaction, but uh, <laughs> rightly so. So, so let's talk about, it's interesting. Let's talk about the tech side of this, right? Cause this is not a piece you own, but I want to talk about that first and then talk about why I think what you've done is, is intelligent. Go right ahead. Oh, so you want me to talk about the tech side of my tech business. Side. So yeah. So yeah, so so basically, you know, right now there's about seven back ends of the payment processing industry. And the ones that people have heard of most often are 
First Data or Chase Payment Tech, Tesis, Elevon. We decided to go with Elevon. They're owned by US Bank. Last year, they won Processor of the Year. They do Starbucks in every major airline and Costco, and they work with a lot of huge, huge businesses. And for us, it was just great to have this solid partner that gives us credibility that's been in business for years. We like the cocktail of products they sell. They have probably 50 products and we've chosen our favorite six, which are the ones that we sell every day. And it's given us enough of a range of products that we can really Mm-hmm. I feel like we have we have every single industry covered. The great thing about it also is that we've just developed a very close relationship with Elevon. So we can mm-hmm. get things through underwriting fast. We can get their service people on the line. If there's something we can't cover, we can replace terminals quickly. So that part of it has been very important to have Elevon as a partner for us. And it makes perfect sense. So and one of the things, the reason why I wanted to address that was because you are part of what I see as hopefully a growing trend, which is it used to be that those companies typically try to own the full vertical, right? They own the technology, they own the distribution, right? What you've done is, and you're starting to see this hopefully in banking as well, is you've developed a very specific value proposition with a very specific business model that essentially utilizes someone else's back end to deliver that service. And you handle the front end piece of that. And I think that hopefully that's the way we start to see a lot of these companies go is where they're spreading, you know, they're moving to the AWS model of, you know what? I'm not the website, I'm not providing the website, but I'm providing all the tools to build your business on it, right? So you're the first person I've, I've talked to who's actually more or less done that kind of model. So I'm, I wanted to make sure we, we touched upon that. So let's talk about this growth rate. <laughs> Go back yeah. to this 100 to 1,000 and let's talk about that because that is not... <laughs> Well, here's, a, here, here's my model, right? It's, the model is I take a person who has a lot of talent and they're already part of the fabric of their community, of their zip code, okay? They're already going to the bookstore, the toy store, the hair salon, the nail salon, the dentist, the orthodontist, the chiropractor. They already have their people, And so their first customers are the relationships they already have. So they're coming in with a built-in group of prospects that they already have a relationship with. And then they just build out their list of clients from there. So the idea is I need a couple of really talented people in every zip code in America. And then these are the people that are honest. They're transparent. They fit our model of someone who's not just trying to get a deal and run because they live in that community and they probably still go to that store and still go to that business. And so they're basically incentivized to keep up that relationship, to be really thoughtful and credible and care about that business's survival and success. So one of the things we've done, and I think I mentioned to you and last time we spoke, Jason, is that I decided to raise money for this business, which is very unusual in this industry, because as you said, it's a front end industry. It's not I don't have a lot of capital intensive costs to build this out, but I felt like to grow at the pace I wanted to grow, I needed to build my full-time team faster. Mm -hmm. So I decided to raise a seed round of capital earlier this year. I did it from all seasoned angel investors, no VCs, because I didn't want the pressure to have to raise money again in a year if I didn't Get on want that to. <laughs> exactly. So I raised enough money to recruit an incredible team of people with very deep payments experience. I have the the person who's running our customer service and support is 
the number one person. She came from the top company in the industry and led a team of 45 people. And now she's with us, our head of operations, same thing. So we've been able to recruit an incredibly talented group from that capital raise, and it's allowed us to grow a lot faster. And so I see our customers as as twofold, right? One is the merchants that we offer this great service and pricing to, but then the other customer are the group of accounting executives that we're recruiting. So we're constantly recruiting accounting executives and trying to attract the right people from across the country. So tell me about, you know, being a work-life balance expert, what kind of work-life balance has this afforded the people who are working for you specifically? I guess the account managers will probably have more flexibility. So I would say that an account executive, the typical person who works with us either does it as a side hustle, in which case we help them map out, okay, you know, put this six hours aside on Saturdays to go talk to businesses. Or for the most part, it's people who are doing it as their primary source of income. And most of them, however, have not had an income in a while, the ones that are doing it as their primary source of income. It's not like someone leaves a full-time job without first building their portfolio, right? And then just starts this because it's commission only. So what typically happens is that they haven't been counted on in their home as the primary breadwinner for a long time. And so they have a six month runway to really build this book of business that's going to lead to recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. Now, the incredible thing about this career, because it is recurring revenue is, for example, one of our account executives had a death in the family uh, later at the end of the summer that was very unexpected. And she was unable to do any work for two months. Hmm. And what she shared with me is that because of her residual earnings from Park Place, she still got the same check every month, even when she wasn't working. Hmm. And it enabled her to feel like she has this financial security she's never had before for the first time. So that now every time she adds an account, that person is then building on this kind of monthly nest egg she's already created because you just keep building and building. So our attrition is so low that you just eventually build this portfolio. Now we have our first accounting executives are earning four figures a month. Now soon they're going to get to five figures a month and that just keeps building on itself. So it's really exciting in terms of having a career where you could put in 40 hours this week and then next week put in zero and no one's going to get upset with you. It doesn't affect you. It's your choice. So it's basically like having your own business and you're working as hard as you want or as little as you want. And it's interesting because, I mean, a couple of things. First off, it's, you know, the job affords that flexibility. Secondly, the compensation structure affords that flexibility. And third, as you said, the value proposition being on servicing and reducing your turnover, it keeps people off that so many of these jobs are treadmill jobs. You know, you're trying to, the only goal is to fill the funnel faster than they fall at the bottom of the funnel. That's right. Because you've changed the dynamic away from volume to to basically retention, you're basically changing the entire incentive structure around that. So that makes perfect sense. Now, Um, the other thing I didn't mention to you, which it makes us very unique, and especially from people who have been seasoned agents in this industry, is that we do all of the back end for them. So our model is that a person will make a contact with a business. They ask a bunch of basic questions, which we call our payment checkup in the beginning, and they'll do a payment checkup for the business, which basically compares their current pricing technology and service to what Park Place has to offer. And then we at Park Place, our full-time team spits back a gorgeous business proposal for that account executive within 48 hours. That's our promise to them. So within 48 hours, the business that they just prospected, they can be presenting this beautiful PowerPoint to with a price comparison, a technology comparison, 
comparison, a service comparison, and then they can win the business very fast. And then what we do is we board the account, we ship the terminal, we do all of the servicing on the account so that that account executive can go on to sell the next thing, but we still split everything with them just as we always would. So, so relationship is the only thing they have to worry about. End of story. all they have to worry about. And it's really just the beginning of the relationship because we see it as our job to make sure that account is PCI compliant and kept up to date on everything in the industry and just focusing on them in a customer service kind of way. Fantastic. So in general, I'm guessing this could be positive, but what's the feedback been from not just the consumers? Because I mean, that's speaking for itself in the low turnover, but specifically in the people you've hired on to take these jobs. Like how you already mentioned one life altering story. What's the feedback been in general? I would say that overall, the confidence level of someone who first begins our program and then is with us for a year, their shoulders, you know, are pulled back. They're just walking taller. There is a surge of confidence that comes from suddenly earning money when you haven't earned money in a while. And there's a sense of freedom and more power over your life. And so I would say across the board, the stories every day would make you weep in terms of how it changes people's lives to suddenly get into a situation where they are learning because learning is such a big part of our happiness, right? Like when we're learning, we feel so much happier and better about ourselves. So they're always learning and they're also connected to this community. We have our web video calls for an hour once a week. And so all the the account executives can see each other on the video call where we do different training every week. And then on top of it, they're fully supported by our team, our full-time team. And they feel a sense of confidence at home because they're contributing and they're showing their children that they're contributing and they're becoming role models. And it's just across the board, very healthy for the family. One dad (laughs) said recently, I hope this is like not bad for just on your show, but he said- great for our sex life because my wife is so much more confident. <laughs> so that is, I'm sure that was not part of the original mission statement. Uh, but if it's an extra, <laughs> if it's a positive externality that you didn't factor in, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure. Right. No I suddenly made your show R rated. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, uh, I'm not going to hit the explicit button when I post this, but that's, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love it. No, that's fantastic. I mean, and it's interesting too, because again, even if it's someone who basically feels after doing this for six months to a year that they, you know, aren't cut out for it. You've given them their foothold back into the workforce, right? You give them the ability to basically go off and pursue something else. So absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's such a great point because I, one of our, our things I'm fanatical about is that each person, the second they start with us is called an account executive, mm-hmm. because if they're called agent or consultant or whatever it is, it doesn't associate. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's so important that if they want to return to corporate America or they have to get a, you know, a full-time corporate job, whatever the reason may be in mm-hmm. the next two years, they now have this resume item that says account executive with a financial services company. So they're going to get taken seriously in the job market. And that's critical. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I have the same three questions I ask everybody at the end and let's see how your reaction is. So if there's one thing you could change about your business or the industry as a whole, what would it be? The industry as a whole, I kind of like being in this industry that needs to change so badly. It's so fun. I mean, when I go to annual conferences, I get so excited because I'm a former athlete. So I'm like, I can kick these people's ass. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, There's nothing like being a disruptor, is there? Exactly, exactly. So that's awesome. I don't want it to, I want to be the one changing it. So I'm happy about that. In terms of my own business, I think it's just spreading the word. I feel like if more people knew that this opportunity was available to them across the country, then I could reach pockets we haven't reached yet. So for me, that's the challenge that keeps me up at night and that I'm always thinking about. 
Fantastic. And speaking of challenges, what has been the biggest challenge in getting to where you are currently? I'm really an optimist, so I don't see it that way. I feel like every bump in the road has helped me get to where I am today. And I love what I do so much that I just, I'm really excited about it. Like, I think it's so fun. It's never growing fast enough for me because I like to build a rocket ship. But I think just the biggest challenge sometimes is just for me, hmm, gosh, it's such a tough question. I don't see, I don't think of it as a challenge, but I guess just building and growing and, and figuring out you need a certain number of accounts to hire a certain number of people. And then you hire those people and then you're like, oh my gosh, they're not at capacity. I need more accounts or I need more people. So it's constantly figuring out that, that business growth step function that probably hits a lot of different businesses. Fantastic. That's been the big, you know, everybody gripes at that one. Usually this is their opportunity to clear their chest and basically just say, oh man, they can't find full stack developers or, oh man, like everybody in this industry moves so slow and trying to change perception. But uh, <laughs> you've definitely had the most positive answer of them all. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the, uh, you know, it kind of reminds me of the old saying that in Chinese, um, crisis is the same word as opportunity, which turns out right. that's not true. It's actually based off a mistranslation into English. <laughs> oh, what was the real translation? I don't know. It's just okay, you have to find out and tell me. I just, yeah, because that was just the I read that recently. Like, oh, I want to know, that doesn't sound like it's true. And I looked it up, like, it wasn't. Oh, uh, I love that. That's a yeah. great piece of trivia. So, the last question is what excites you the most about what you're working on, what you're doing with the people you're helping with? Like, what gets you up every morning and keeps you going? And I, I take it for you, that's just how your normal state of affairs, but uh, but let's let's hear it from you. I think for me, the, the fact that I'm running a for-profit company with a social mission, mm-hmm. which is financial independence for people who've been on the sidelines, that for me is the most exciting thing I could possibly be involved in. I've written five books. I've been on yeah. the Today Show countless times. So a lot of people will say, oh gosh, it's so not sexy. They're talking about credit card processing. I'm like, no, I'm not talking about credit card processing. I am talking about financial independence for a segment of the economy that has not been financially independent in a long time. And for me, that is the most exciting thing I've ever done professionally. And it's interesting, that entire viewpoint, which I think is absolutely true, what you're saying, opens up other financing opportunities. And one of the things we've talked about previously on the show is, is the, the market for impact investing. Now, it's a small one. It's, uh, it's still growing. But frankly, I mean, that kind of mission statement, that kind of purpose that you are both a for-profit, but you're also creating positive change within communities opens the doors to if you guys ever wanted to expand beyond what you're currently doing and again, not get on the VC treadmill, I'm sure that there's plenty of places you can knock for, for money these days. Exactly. And that, that was a big part of my pitch when I was raising money was you can be part of something that's going to make you a lot of money, but it's also doing a lot of good in the world. And that's yeah. a rare opportunity. Yes. <laughs> so unlike the uh, Milton Friedman view of the world of the only role you have is to, it is a business is to make money and that's the end of it, which everybody's finally starting to reject. Thankfully, you're doing a lot of good. And I just, I, you know, I remember when you first told me what you were doing with this and I started shaking my head saying, how are people not jumping to take advantage of this highly educated market of, <laughs> of labor? Or what world am I living in that this is a problem? But I understand why it's a problem. And I'm glad people like you are finding ways that you find solutions for it. So thank you very much for making the time. Thank you, Jason. So I hope you enjoyed that very positive and uplifting conversation I had with Samantha Addis. And as you can see, I'm a fan of the fact that she is helping empower women get back in the workforce. And I hope more people take that example and tap upon that very underutilized labor pool that astonishes me and exists. Anyway, as always, this has been Fintech Impact, and I'm your host, Jason Pereira. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is your podcasts. And until next time, take care.
This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.